gather, come gather, friends, close by the fire, and hear of a wondrous tale of goblins and elves in miscoated dells and heroes who strive to prevail. Our hero was roadbound, exploring again, with a warrior elf by his side. Springtime abounded as they trained neath the boughs, the whole world seemed bursting with life. You're listening to Alley Odds and the Alley Odds Squad by Leona Cara. Chapter 5 Soulbound. Do you have to hit so hard? You have more incentive to block if it hurts. Ow! Jump a juniper! Gah! It was our second night on the road since leaving Derry, and already my legs and arms were as bruised as a wind-battered pear. Wooden swords may not have drawn blood, but they sure hurt. Trenia was a demanding teacher. She'd carved the swords first thing once we'd left Derry, and she was a staunch proponent of the sink-or-swim methodology. So far, I was sinking. Oh, no, no. When I come from the right, you must block from the left. It's always an opposite motion when your feet aren't moving. Which they should be. Oh, sorry, right. Painful as they were, the sword lessons were the best parts of each day. Not only was I finally learning a craft I'd dreamt of mastering my entire life, they gave me something positive to dwell on as Trenia and I walked the many miles west towards somewhere. Saying goodbye to my friends in Derry had been hard. Really... Really hard. Rose, Frankie, Talia, and, and Grint? I'd never had a group of people who I'd cared for so deeply, let alone a group of people who I felt actually cared about me. The old man's gimmick had become a second home, and I felt a deep sadness to leave the golden glow of that hearth-warmed hall. Know that you're always welcome here, Ellie. It's been such a delight to spend time with you. Come back some day, you hear. We'll be waiting for your stories. I will. I promise. Thank you all so much for everything. The sisters pulled me into a group hug, a novelty for me, and I felt so full of warm fuzzies I thought I'd burst. After saying goodbye to the sisters, I went over to the Eternal Soul to say goodbye to Grint. He was cutting leather to patch up a busted toe when I walked in, and he continued his work as I approached the counter. Blimey, you're in early. First bell's not even rung. D don't tell me you've fallen in love with shoemaking. Eh, not quite. Eh? Many a man has lost his head to the cobbler's suede. But what is it, Ali? What's going on? Well, uh, I'm leaving. What? Now? Yeah. I told him about meeting Trenia at the Stinky Boot, and about how she was going to train me to be a real warrior, just like I'd always dreamt. I told him we'd agreed to search for Joe and Graham, and most importantly, Granbauer. Grint obviously did not like the plan. Not only because it meant losing my help, but because he feared for me. How do you know you can trust her? Well, I don't. But she seemed honest and honorable. And <laughs> I mean, she's an elf. But that don't mean nothing. Elves are still people, just like the rest of us. Well, not just like the rest of us. All the same, they've got their fair share of shadow. You've got a fanciful mind, friend. Don't forget that stories are stories, and life is life. You don't know this lady, and from what you say, she's a lethal warrior. You can't blame me for feeling nervous. I don't. I'm nervous too, but 
I know I'd kick myself forever if I passed up this chance. Grint didn't seem happy about it, but at least he understood. Well then, if your mind's really set on it, it is. Then I'll be right back. Grint walked away from his work table and went up the stairs. From my spot at the counter, I heard him shuffling about in the bedroom above my head, as well as what sounded like another man's voice. I was busy thinking about who on earth would have been up there so early in the morning when Grint came back down the steps, holding a pair of decorative boots in his hands. They were deep rosemary green and had sprigs of holly embroidered into the uppers with a waxed silver thread. There were no laces, as there should have been, but the soles looked thick and sturdy, and the stitching on each panel? It shamed the work of the stinky boot itself. Here. I didn't have time to put in the lacing yet, but here you go. He shrugged modestly, scratched the back of his head, and held them out to me, as if they were any old pair of boots. I took them in my hands and ran a finger over the stitching, too stunned to speak. I made a few attempts to talk, but there are some moments where a thank you just isn't good enough. I pulled him into a hug and squeezed him with every ounce of my being. I'll think of you with every step, and I'll hope that someday they bring you back. Give Grand Bauer a pat for me, eh? I did not want to let go of that hug. Tears trickled down my cheeks, and I could feel my shoulder grow wet warm from where Grint's tears were seeping through my tunic. My jaw still throbbed from being punched to the stinky boot, but good gracious was saying goodbye more painful. Ow! Ugh, can, can we take a break? Not yet. We obviously need to spend more time on blocking. Come on, pick up your sword. Pick it up. Yeah, the sword training hurt, but at least it distracted from the pain. Ow! Once Trenia felt satisfied that I was as exhausted as I said I was, around sunset, we ended our training session and returned to our camp. It was a long ways off from the road, and like the first night, we built no fire so as to avoid attracting unwanted eyes. We'd had no sign of Trenia's brother, Theron, which was a relief, but neither had we found any sign of Joe or Graham. It was difficult to find someone when we, ourselves, were hiding. I divvied out portions of the bread, sausage, and cheese we'd brought from Derry, and Trenia and I ate in silence for the second night in a row. It turns out, Trenia wasn't very talkative when she was sober. Her iciness would thaw and thicken throughout the day like a frosted tide, but more or less, she stayed frozen. After how well we'd got on at the stinky boot, I kind of figured she'd crack after the first day or two on the road and tell me what was going on. Like, what was really going on. I mean, especially when you spend all day and night with someone, two days is a long time to get to know a person. But by sunset on the second night, it seemed like the only thing more potent than my curiosity was her resolve to stay quiet. As I threaded a leather strip through the lacing in my new boots, I watched her take a swig from her water skin and stare at it despondently. Too bad we don't have any wine, huh? I could go for a dram. But no, no, I've, I've got to say sharp. Oh, you seemed pretty sharp at the stinky boot after, what was it, five ales? What you saw of me and Derry was not normal. I was... It's been... Uh... You've got problems. I get it. We all do. But what I don't get is why you won't talk about them. Trenia opened her mouth, then closed it, then pulled her knees to her chest and stayed silent. I'd been too direct, and I'd scared her back into her shell, 
You know you can trust me, right? Trania continued to look straight ahead. We wouldn't be here if you didn't. Isn't that enough? Trenia, I promise you. I'm your friend. Whatever you've done, whatever you're running from, I'm on your team. But I can't help fight what we're up against if I don't know what it is. Trenia continued to avoid my gaze, and rose to set up her bedroll. It's a long story. Too long for tonight. Please. I watched her stretch out on the ground and pull her wool blanket around her shoulders. Get some rest. Trenia, good night. <sighs> the tide was in. There was too much ice. And after a full day of walking and training, I was too tired to hack at it. My body was sore. My mind, raw. I crawled atop my own bedroll and looked up at the stars. I felt unsettled, and I knew the roots and twigs beneath my back weren't the only reason. When we left Derry, Trenia and I had had a united purpose. Save Grand Bower and bring Joan Graham to justice, while avoiding her brother. So far, it felt like all we were doing was avoiding her brother. We had sidestepped the few small villages we'd encountered, villages that might have had valuable information about Joan Graham. And while I recognized Trenia was grappling with her own struggles, I felt somewhat resentful that her needs were overriding my own. The next morning, I awoke with resolve, and a crick in my neck. I was going to do whatever I could to find out more about Joan Graham, whether Trenia came with me or not. Trenia's bedroll was empty by the time I arose. I sat up and looked around the camp to see where she had gone, and I spotted her a good twenty yards off, kneeling beside a small creek with her eyes closed. Her fingers trailed in the water, and she remained statue still for several minutes as I ate a cold breakfast of oat bread and dried figs. Eventually, she rose, flicked the water from her fingers, and came back to our camp. She looked frustrated, as if something was eluding her. You okay? Fine, yes. Really? I'm having a hard time concentrating, that's all. Great. <laughs> I was going to spend the day with a glacier. Trenia sat down across from me and pulled out her portion of food. What's the next village called again? Igalava. Why? I'm going to go in and ask about Joe and Grimm. I don't think it's a good idea, Allie. We haven't had any sight of Theron, and you agreed to help me find Granbauer. We aren't going to be able to do that if we never leave the gosh darn woods. No, it's, it's too risky. Well, for you, maybe. Though you won't tell me why. Trenia picked up a small stone and turned it over in her fingers. <sighs> You're just going to keep ignoring me. Ali, I don't want to talk about it right now. Well, then when are we going to talk about it? Okay, so I could empathize that she didn't want to rehash whatever was hurting so much. I mean, it's the same reason I was enjoying the sword training. But we were traveling together. I'd thrown in the dice with her to find Granbauer and bring Joe and Graham to justice. But I didn't actually know why she'd thrown in hers. Besides convenience, there had to be some kind of communication. You said you were running from the sound of a falling tree. What tree? Who felled it? Was someone there to hear it? I don't want to talk about it. What was the other thing you said? The woods are no longer safe. Uh, what does that mean? What are we really running from? Besides your brother. More than I can explain right now. Just forget it. Forget it, huh? <laughs> no way. We're partners here. You agreed to help me find Granbauer and take down Joe and Graham. And that's what we're doing. I swear on my soul. Trenia knelt down beside her bedroll and began to pack it up. I picked up the two wooden practice swords. Huh. Yeah? You know what else we agreed to? We should have agreed to compulsory quiet hours. Sword training. Come on. Up we go. I threw one of the swords at Trenia's back. How? Are you mad? I walked over to her and began poking at her with my sword. Teach me. 
Teach me how to fight. Come on. She tightened the strap on her pack and shot such an angry look in my direction, I almost backed away. But I had a plan. She wouldn't like me for it, but I felt it would work. I poked her again, and she swatted the sword away with her hand. Come on, Trinia, teach me. Or do you not know how to fight? Ooh, ooh, can you teach me how to run? That did the trick. Trenia stood up in a flash and reached for the wooden sword. And now, all I had to do was run. Teach you how to run, huh? Or I'll teach you how to run so far you'll fall off the edge of the bloody map. Oh, so that's where you're taking us. Stop! Is that where your tree friend is? Shut up! Oh, yeah. She was good and angry now. I turned to face her, knowing I had one last shot to break her armor before she got to me. Ooh, or, or maybe the mortal wench you call a lover? Shut up! Bullseye. It took every ounce of focus and skill that I had to deflect the blows as Trenia closed the gap and let loose. She wasn't using words, but she was talking all right. Eventually, Trenia landed a searing blow to my sword arm, and the wooden blade fell from my hand. She pounced on me like a hound and pinned me to the ground, holding the tip of her wooden sword to my chest. I didn't say a word as I stared up at her, and for a while, our panting was the only sound to break the birdsong. It was over. She had won. I was hoping that such a victory would allow her to accept that I wasn't a threat, that she didn't have to fight me, that I really was on her side. But the ice, her armor, it was still too thick. Chernia rose from the ground and brushed the leaves and twigs from her tunic. She walked over to the creek again and splashed her face with water. She returned to her statue state, and I was left to myself, feeling defeated and ashamed. My arm hurt so bad from where the final blow had hit. I attempted to wrap a cold compress of cheese and socks around the rising welt, but I struggled to tie it one-handed and gave up. I watched Trenia as she sat by water's edge. There was so much about her I didn't understand, and all my stunt had done was prove my ignorance, as well as my arrogance in assuming I knew how to help. I took another shot at tying my cheese compress, and after a few minutes, Trenia returned to our camp and searched through her pack. She withdrew a small leather pouch, unwound the tie, and poured a bit of the contents onto her palm. She knelt down beside me, and I could smell a bright, pungent herb in her hand. Here, use water, use your spit, whatever you like. Mash it up and rub it on, like this. Trenia put a small wad of the herb in her mouth, sucked on it for a few seconds, then spat it out and rubbed it gently on my arm. Immediately, I felt a tingle of coolness where it rested on my skin, like the chill of mint on a hot summer day. What is it? Pantheri, a root we harvest in the Nurvenga. Use it up. And, um, I'm, um... Sorry? Yes. I'm, I'm sorry. There's a lot I would like to tell you. A lot I will tell you, but it's hard. I looked in her eyes, and I could tell that she really meant it. I was as much of a stranger to her as she was to me. She would tell me when she was ready. I'm sorry, too. I shouldn't have poked at you like that. Well, it shouldn't take so much poking, to be honest. Well, it shouldn't take so many sword hits to shut me up. You are learning, though. That was by far the best your blocking has been. Yeah, well, thank you, but not good enough. We both looked at the welt on my arm. She poured the rest of the panthery root into my hand. Well, put that on there and let it rest. But don't think this gets you out of training. Oh, gee, c come on, really? You don't get to break in a real fight just because your arm hurts. 
Apparently, my face looked more distressed than I thought, because Trenia softened a bit and said, I tell you what, if you fight, I'll talk. Deal. Trenia schlepped on her backpack and held out a hand to help me up. You've got a long walk to Agalava. Plenty of time for both. The air a bit clearer between us. Trenia and I walked in comfortable silence as woodlands gave way to sweeping pastures, and the spring sun revealed its long-missed heat. Our footsteps pattered a nice rhythm atop the dirt, and a song came to my lips. The road stretches out ahead, ahead, ahead. The road stretches out ahead, ahead, ahead. The steps fall away one by one, tread by tread. The steps fall away one by one, tread by tread. The sun shining down on me, oh light. How bright the sun shining down on me, oh light, how bright. Each footfall will show me how to stay upright. Each footfall will show me how to stay upright. We stopped beside a winding river, the South Twin, as Trenia told me, and ate a small lunch beneath the shade of a willow tree. Then, Trenia tossed me one of the wooden swords and beckoned for me to join her on an open patch of grass beside a lilac bush. But you haven't talked. We'll talk now. Ugh, okay. Just gotta stand up first. Ugh. Everything was sore. <sighs> you asked what I was running from. Well, it's a long story, and it's not simple. Mostly because there are a lot of differences between elves and humans, in terms of how we see the world. How we interact with it. You come from a completely different culture than I do, and it's impossible to pretend that you could know what life is like for someone like me. But I've read stories about elves. Were they written by elves? Well, no, but they were written by people who knew elves. Ow! <laughs> well, that's part of the problem. Humans look to humans for answers about elves. That way they don't actually have to step out of their comfortable little perspectives and into someone else's shoes. Ow! Oof. What do you mean? Arm higher. Higher! Keep the tip pointed straight at me. Good. Do you remember what you were doing when we met? I did, unfortunately. I was staring at her as if she'd hopped out of a storybook. Yeah, sorry about that. You were glamorizing me, and you were trying to fit me into your fairy tale image of what an elf was supposed to be. I bet you believe I grew up in an enchanted forest, full of twinkling rivers and rainbows, don't you? where we all lived in tree-dwellings and walked through the woods in glistening white robes. She wasn't wrong, though I had imagined their robes were blue. I don't quite fit the image, do I? Trenia disarmed me with a swift spiral of her sword. I bent down to pick up the blade, and felt the tip of Trenia's sword poking me in the neck. The first thing you can do to understand me is to accept that you don't understand me. I grabbed my sword and knocked her blade away with a quick spin of my torso. Will you help me too? Trenia's lips curled into a hint of a smile. Yes. Trenia walked to the river and splashed water onto her face. Sparring in the sun had made us sweatier than usual, so I joined her by the bank and splashed myself as well. <sighs> it's funny. In order to tell you my story, I have to tell you that even the way we tell stories is different. Trenia splashed a last handful of water onto her face, then rose picked up her sword and walked back to the lilac bush. I followed her. 
you humans like a clear beginning, middle, and end. And those three things aren't separate to elves. They're all one thing. Because they all need the context of one another to be complete. For example, if I was to tell you why I'm running, you, as a human, might expect to hear about all that caused me to be where I am, right now, talking to you by this river. But for us elves, the story starts now. The past events, your beginning, are still happening now. The future, your ending, is already happening now. What you would call the middle, when the hero is in the thick of things. We call that the present, and to us that is the story. Oh, I, I don't think I follow you. Huh, that there, that acknowledgement, that means you're actually listening. Lots of humans are too proud to admit that they don't know what they think they know. And that's often why we elves steer clear. But with the story thing, don't you still need the context of the beginning in order to understand the present? Right, so the reason I'm running is... See, there's still too much to explain. What? Come on, just, just try. Do you know anything about soul sending? About what? Soul sending. Or soul bonding. I, I feel like I've read about it. Or Nagantha, the freezing? Or Burantha, the crowding? I shook my head. I had no idea what she was talking about. And that's kind of the story. Humans and elves. We're just so different. We can barely make sense of each other, and yet... Chernia fell silent. The river slithered along its winding course. Willow boughs wavered in the breeze, and the lilac lended a heavy scent to the air. Trenia stopped beside the lilac and examined a cluster of its purple flowers, lost in thought. Does this have anything to do with the mortal your brother was talking about? Yes, she said, bringing the flowers to her nose and smelling their spring-sweetened scent. She is very much the story. Who is she? Uh, who she was was a blacksmith, a dancer, an artist. She was the orange glow of the rising sun. Who she is. Trenia's attention snapped back to the sword in her hand, to the winding river and the gentle breeze. She looked to me and gave a quick smile. <laughs> That's enough training for now. Let's get back to the road. It wasn't much, but it was a start. I shrugged on my pack and followed Trenia to the road, content that there was at least a crack in the ice. Igalava was a small little village west of Derry, boasting some two-and-forty dwellings scattered across a wide band of the South Twin River. Trenia and I approached it just as the afternoon heat began to wane, and it seemed that most of the villagers were out and about in their fields and orchards, making the best of the fair weather. Trenia donned her cloak and wore it with a hood up, and advised that we should use fake names. She told me to use the name and backstory of someone I actually knew, so that I'd be able to answer quickly if questions arose. I chose to be Isabel Gammert, who was the potter in Fribbleshire, and Trinia chose to be Ela Wren or something, a florist in a place she knew well. Alter egos at the ready, we strolled into Igalava and headed for the inn. If Joe and Graham had passed through, surely the innkeeper would have heard about it. Trinia and I stepped inside. It was empty besides an old man wiping clay mugs with a rag, and it smelled wondrously of roasting meat. Oh, afternoon there, friends, 
rather full at the moment, as you can see. <laughs> Sit wherever you like. Can I fetch you a drink? Trenia and I approached the bar, and I froze in horror. My heart skipped, and I felt my blood run cold. I reached for Trenia's arm to stabilize myself, and she practically had to hold me to keep me upright. Isabel! What is it, friend? No, 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 no. It can't be. I pointed to what I had seen. Turning on a spit behind the bar was a butchered goat. It had been skinned and dressed for cooking, so there was no way to identify if it was Grandbauer or not. But even the thought of it being him made me nauseous. The flames had cooked the goat so that the outer layers were seared to a brownish gold, and I was extremely distressed by how good it smelled. But once the image of Grandbauer returned in my mind, I lurched and threw up in my mouth. Vegetarian, are we? Uh, that goat. Where did you get that goat? Why, from the pens, to be sure. The, pe the pens? You, you, you didn't trade for him. He, I mean, it didn't recently come into your possession. Oh, I Come to think of it, it did. <sighs> I felt my knees buckle again, but I caught myself on the bar. Not three days past, a couple came into town, offering to trade their goat for a place to stay. Come to think of it, it was four days past. Or, oh no, was it five? It, it doesn't matter. Who was the couple? What did they look like? Or no, maybe it was even a week. God, it, it doesn't matter. The couple, who were the couple? Oh, they were a nice lot, those two. All smiles and rosy cheeks they was. What was their names now? Joe and Graham. Was it Joe and Graham? Why was he talking so slow? Joe and Graham! Oh, now there's some names. Tell me, old man! Tell me! It took all of my strength to not leap over the bar and shake the old man by his shirt collar. Trenia could tell I was coming to a boil, and she grabbed my shoulders to calm me down. Isabel, friend, there's no need to get in such a huff. I brushed her off and slapped my hands on the counter. Was it Joe and Graham? Mm, no. I think Marta and Roger they was called. Their old milking goat had seen her last season, so they traded her off for a great batch of cider. Speaking of, would you two want a pint? <sighs> I let my head fall to the counter, and I spent several seconds recovering myself. It wasn't Grandbauer. It wasn't Grandbauer. Is that a no to the cider, then? I looked up at the old man, exasperated. And then the door opened. As the only people in the bar, Trenia, the innkeep, and I all turned to look at the incoming patron. What's all this shouting about? A small woman with salt and pepper hair approached the bar. She walked with a limp, and as she drew near, I could see a burn mark lining the right side of her cheek and neck. I heard Dre's voices. The old innkeep pointed at me and said, This one's a vegetarian. The woman raised an eyebrow at me. I heard the names Joe and Graham. Who's asking? Well, my name is Isabel, and I began to answer, but Trenia stepped in front of me and cut me off. Who are you? She's Hatha! Thank you, Avi. I am Hatha. The innkeep looked pleased with himself, and began to stack the mugs he had been wiping. The woman was clearly intimidated by Trenia, and eyed the elf nervously. I rose up and stood beside her. Why do you ask, Hatha? Do you know Joe and Graham? Oh, I know. I know all too well. Are you seeking them? What if we were? Then I'd be glad to give you some free advice. Hatha was abandoned once. Alvi. 
worked for this lovely couple. What was their names again? Alvy. Joe and Graham. That's it. Nice young couple they was, besides the thieving. Rod my whole cellar dry, all the rascals. Have you aired the cellar today, Alvy? Might want to take a look. Oh, right you are. Silly me. Beans for brains, as the wife says. Alvy wandered out of the bar, and Trenia and I were left alone with Hatha. You worked for Joe and Graham? Aye, for a time. Until we had a misunderstanding, and they gave me these. Hatha gestured to the scars on her face and neck. Were they here? Did, did Joe and Graham come through Egaliva? No, but if you're going after them, then I want to help. I looked at Trinia. She put a hand on the hilt of her sword, but she nodded. All right, Hatha. Tell us what you know. Hatha led us through Egaliva to her hut on the edge of the village. It was surrounded by apple trees that were just beginning to poke out their pinky-white flowers, and I noticed that there were at least three or four apple trees per cottage. Like the rest of Egaliva's buildings, Hatha's hut was a single-room dwelling made of wattle and daub with a thatched roof. She ushered us inside and poured out three mugs of a cloudy golden liquid. What is this? Cider. My own recipe. Everyone makes their own and claims it's the best. Including me. Drink up. Charnia shot me a warning glance, and with a minute shake of her head, suggested I shouldn't drink. Hatha saw this exchange. It isn't poisoned, Elf. I promise. Hatha tossed back her own cup and poured out another. I stopped working for Joe and Graham half a lifetime ago. My roguish days are done. What did you do for them? Mostly I gathered information for them. They would use that information to get close to people, to trick them, before making off with whatever it was they were trying to steal. So you didn't steal anything yourself? Of course I did. I was good at it too. For example, Hatha held up the coin purse that was normally tied to Trenia's sword belt. Trenia's eyes went wide with surprise, then anger. Hatha smiled and threw the purse across the table to Trenia. Don't worry. As I said, those days are done. And how did they end then? Did you eventually steal from the wrong person like all thieves? Yes, from Joe and Graham. Really? Yes. I travelled all over Lore with the Jolly Robbers, and stole from many people in many places, including elves. Hatha looked across the table at Trenia, who watched her with suspicion. Sorry, it was nothing personal. But then one day, Joe and Graham planned to steal from the village in which I grew up, from my very family. I could not bring myself to do it, so I pretended to be sick and stayed behind. And then, after their stunt was complete, I tried to steal back what they had taken from my people. Their hideout was in a cave along a river bank, and they caught me as I was taking away the last of the loot from their cache. They were on the other side of the river, so Joe shot me in the shoulder with a flaming arrow, and it caught my clothes alight. A flaming arrow? Isn't that a little overkill? They are known for their antics. Aye, and Joe is quite the pyromaniac. Wounded as I was from the arrow, I had difficulty putting out the flames. But I was able to crawl into the river, where I was swept to safety. Ever since then, I have wanted to get revenge on them for what they did. To me, to my village, and to all others they have harmed. So then why haven't you? It sure would have saved us some trouble. Sorry, Elf. The burns have made it harder to move as I used to, and my shoulder never really healed. Besides, the rest of life happened, and there are other things to worry about besides revenge. I am no match for them one-on-one. -on -one. But if you think you are, then I will gladly feed and house you tonight. I turned to Trenia, hoping she shared my wish to stay and learn from Hatha. There was hesitance in her eyes, but she nodded her assent and drank the sweet cider that Hatha offered. After sharing a greeting glass, 
We set up our gear in the field outside Hatha's hut, and I told Hatha the story of how I'd been swindled by Joe and Graham, which explained why I had been yelling about a roasting goat at the inn. Hatha shared bread and chicken stew for supper, and drew out maps of all the hideouts she could remember visiting with Joe and Graham. They covered nearly the entire western region of Lore, twenty spots at least, from the great forests in the south all the way up to Haventown in the north. She acknowledged that they probably didn't use some of them anymore, as it had been several years since she had been a jolly robber, and things change. But we discovered one of their hideouts was a cave not far from Beleth, the Elfwoods, where Trenia was from. Oh, you're one of the Norvenga elves. Yes. Are you on errands then, Ila? Or did you forsake your kinrights to be wandering so far? Something about how this question hit a nerve with Trenia. We had all been chatting most merrily and sharing food and cider until then, but suddenly, the tone became very tense. Neither. My business is my own. Well, it's not uncommon, is it? Lots of elves leave their tribes, strike out on their own. One of the best trap makers I met in the Jolly Robbers was an elf. From the south, uh, the Sunhili tribe, I think. And he said it was quite allowed to leave the tribe for a time. Not so in the Murvenga. So, are you on an errand? Or did you give up your kinrights? Wait. What are kinrights? I noticed Trenia was staring at Hatha unflinchingly, a warning that she was crossing into unwelcome territory. I could see the ice crawling up around her body, coiling in invisible tendrils that locked her jaw and clenched her fists. But Hatha didn't see this. If I'm not mistaken, kinrights are given when an elfling comes of age, normally around, what, 40 years old? It means you're obligated to attend all tribal meetings, you get a vote, you receive your own portion of resources, and you must contribute your value to the community, no? Fascinating how you elves live. Is that how it works? I looked at Trenia and saw that her chin was tucked towards her chest and her hands were flat on the table, as if she was trying to hold back a wave of frustration. But Hatha continued. Remember, it was my job to gather information. This included about elves. Are you soul-bound, then? At that, Trenia's head perked up, and she rather resembled a lion about to pounce. I didn't want another scene like we had had at the Stinky Boot, so I spoke up. Um, I, I don't know what soul-binding is, Hatha, but it seems like a rather personal question. Trinia looked to me, and seemed to relax a bit. At the very least, her claws retracted. I'm sorry if I've overstepped. It's been a long time since I've spoken with other people who have really seen the world. No hard feelings, eh? Trinia was still rippling with silent anger. But she rose from her chair and faced Hatha. It'll be an early rise tomorrow. Thank you for the food. And with that well-worn excuse, Trenia walked out the door to our camp, leaving me with Hatha to clear out the stagnant air. Sorry about her, Hatha. She's working through something pretty big right now and doesn't really like questions. Believe me. Eh, it seems to be an elven thing. Very closed off to humans. Even when humans give them food and shelter. I really wouldn't take it personally. You can't judge all elves by one elf, especially when that elf is in a hard place. Hatha leaned back in her chair and eyed the doorway over the rim of her mug. Hmm, she's not the only elf I've met. No matter how friendly you are, there's always an edge. Huh. That Trinia had an edge was undeniable, but it didn't seem fair to say that all elves were standoffish just because she was. Even Gobin, the elf fella from Tsurhili. Six years of working together. It never left him. Hm. I found this quite curious. If Hatha had experienced a similar pattern in her interactions with other elves, then there had to be a reason for the pattern. I began to pose this very quandary when Hatha spoke up, 
Eh, but I suppose if you trust her to fight Joe and Graham, then that's where an edge might come in handy. Anyway, she was right about one thing. It's near to bedtime. I nodded and rose, and let the issue drop. Perhaps it was best to not try and bridge the rift between our perspectives of that hour. Well, half a <laughs> thanks for the food and, and the cider and the map. This is the first solid lead I've had on finding Granbauer since he was taken. This really helps a lot. I gave her a smile and headed for the door. But I turned back when she said, Oh, dear, you do realize your goat is probably dead. My blood ran cold again, as it had when I'd seen the roasting goat at the inn. What? You did not truly believe there was a chance of getting him back, did you? My body was paralyzed, and my mind was jumbled as different thoughts fought to come out on top. This must have occurred to you. Joe and Graham have no reason to keep a random goat, and you know how ruthless they are. I stared at Hatha blankly as her words sunk in. They didn't have reason to keep him alive. He was only someone to me. To everyone else, he was, he was just a goat. He probably was dead. Had I already realized this and just just denied it? Tears began clouding my vision. But I looked at Hatha through the smudge. Then then why did you help us? Why draw the maps? Oh, to help you hunt down Joe and Graham. That's what you asked for, isn't it? So that I could find Granbauer. Oh, sweet one. It seems wrong to send you off in search of something that does not exist. So I shall hope you get vengeance for your goat and for all of us. In a daze, I brushed my hand against the door until it found the handle. I lifted the latch and stumbled out into the dark. I arrived where Trenia and I had set up our bedrolls, though I couldn't tell you how I got there. My mind was crowded with thoughts I did not want to accept. Trenia was sitting atop her bedroll holding our wooden practice swords, and at some point she rose and approached me, offering one of the blades. Do you want to fight? Knock what she said out of mind. Come on, let's have a go. She must have overheard my conversation with Hatha. I shook my head at the sword and reached out to her, steadying myself with a hand on each of her shoulders. What about you? Do you think Granbauer's alive? Trenia paused, and her jaw clenched in a quick flash. It is unlikely. No, no, no. My knees gave way and Trinia had to catch me to keep me from falling. But it's not impossible. I trust Hatha's information, but not her judgment. Trinia helped me sit down on my bedroll, then sat beside me as I cried. Even if we do fight Joe and Graham, which we probably won't, because they've been doing this for a zillion years and have never been caught, and you don't want to talk to people, and I don't know how to fight. Granberry's probably already dead and roasting on a spit in some other stupid village. <laughs> I wish there was some way to find out. But no, we'll, pro we'll probably never know. <laughs> I held my knees to my chest and wept. I wept and wept to think that my best friend was dead. I felt Trenia's weight as she scooted closer beside me. She put a hand on my back and left it there for a moment. It felt nice to have her there. To not feel so alone. You don't know that he's dead. What if I told you that there was a way to find out? Is there? Leaving the wooden swords behind, Trenia led me to one of the apple trees blooming in Hatha's garden. A thin sliver of the waning moon lingered in the east, giving a soft glow to the small white blossoms, just poking out their springtime petals. 
and the nighttime air was rich with the scent of future fruit. Trenia proffered that I should kneel down beside the tree, facing the trunk. She knelt beside me, took a deep breath, and rolled her shoulders back, readying herself for something I couldn't fathom. Everything in this world has a soul. Rocks, rivers, daisies, and apple trees. You have a soul. I have a soul. And all things in this world are equal in having one. Our lives are spent in constant contact with all number of fellow souls, separate only because of the bodies that contain us. Elves, more than any other Tuolinga, have learned to send our souls outside of ourselves, to mingle and connect with the other souls in this world. In this way, we love a great many things at a depth and knowledge that humans can barely fathom. We call it Iron Widrel, soul sending. <laughs> what does this have to do with Grandbauer? He has a soul. And if you find it, you find him. Isn't isn't this stuff just for elves? All things in this world can soul-send, as they all have a soul. Elves have a natural predilection for it, because of our attunement to the world around us. But even a human can learn, though it is not easy. Do you think I can learn? Trenia took a long, sincere look at me. I do. Trenia placed her hands upon the trunk of the apple tree. Do what I do. I press my hands to the bark. Close your eyes. Think of the tree. Feel the bark. What is it like? How does it feel on your fingertips? I slid my fingers across the bark. It was fairly smooth, except for where knobs of lichen formed ruffles, and where tufts of moss made soft little rugs. What does it smell like? How do the flowers sound in the breeze? I pressed my nose to the trunk and inhaled. The moss smelled of plant breath and tilled soil, the bark of fresh rain and apple skin. The flowers gave off the faintest flutter of petal taps, like leafy shoes dancing on the wind. Think of the trunk, of all the water, all the energy flowing inside the wood. Feel it flowing inside of you. Feel your veins pulsing as your lifeblood surges through every speck of this tree. Travel through those seeping tunnels. Send your body down, down into the roots. Feel the tendrils of your being extending into the earth. Feel the soil's embrace as it holds you. Solid. Sturdy. Safe. As she talked, I visualized myself dissolving into the tree, following its bends and boughs with the flow of its lifeblood. I felt my mind slipping away falling into the winding tunnels of treedom, and I felt as if my body was a mere statue that the true me had stepped out of. I dwelled in a time outside of time, absorbed into the very essence of this tree. It was amazing. I didn't even want my body anymore. I wanted to peel away the layers of what I was and sink into the earth beside the tree forever. It was so good there, so cozy, so home. No, no, Ali, stay here. Trenia's voice called me back. I hadn't realized I'd gone so far until my awareness traveled the untold distance back to myself. My eyes were still closed, and my body was statue still. Remember who you are. You are Ali Odds. Good. Hi, Bethildo. Come back. Come back, Ali. I felt the roots of connection slip away like a blanket falling from my shoulders, root by root, until I returned to where I was sitting, kneeling beside the tree, my hands still pressed to the trunk. Good, good, Ali. Hold it there for a moment. Feel the line where you end and the tree begins. 
Now slowly open your eyes and come back to the present. Oh, whoa! That was, that was amazing! Trenia was beaming, obviously delighted by what she'd seen. D did I do it? D did I soul send? Not fully, but that's an impressive start. Very promising. Woo! Oh, and that, that was just soul sending. And I could learn how to do that with Grandbauer? With Grandbauer? With anything. Whoa. What's soul bonding then? Oh, that must be wild. Elves consider it the highest form of magic. Euron Ullendel. Some souls once met. We do not want to exist separately from our own. And so we bind them. Our soul and the soul of another. It is a mutual act of consent. A shared desire to be together for eternity. For when death arrives, even for a stone or a river, when the rock falls to dust and the water stops flowing, their souls do not die. They continue on together, swirling and changing in a time outside of time. I saw sadness creep into Trenia's eyes. That deep pain that I'd seen at the stinky boot. That deep pain that suddenly explained so much of what had transpired. That's what you wanted, isn't it? that blacksmith woman, to be soul-bound. Yes. Then you'd never have to leave. We would have been together for eternity. Well, what happened? Did she not want to? She did. We made arrangements, but my tribe forbade it. Humans and elves aren't supposed to fall in love. Oh, so that's why you ran away? To be with Laurel? Yes. But when I made it to her village, she was gone. She left without a word. Oh, my goodness. This was heartbreaking. Well, can't you soul send to find her? I've been trying, but my reach only goes so far. Oof. I'm sorry, Trenia. That was heavy. But for once, she didn't completely shut down from the weight. We'll find them, Trenia. Granbauer and Laurel. She looked me in the eye. And in another moment of strange elven stare-downiness, it seemed that we formed a sort of mental contract. Neither of us would give up on the other until both Granbauer and Laurel were found. No matter what. Trenia broke the eye contact with a deep breath, her long blink like a signature. And then she slapped her thighs with her palms and rose to her feet. Well, let's get some sleep. Right. I rose up beside her, and we faced each other awkwardly for a moment. Trinia was clearly unsure of what to do with the friendly intimacy we had built, but I felt sure. I hugged her. Her ice armor was still present, but I squeezed her tight anyways and said, Thank you. I'm really glad you're with me. We stood there for a moment in a one-way hug, and I tried to send her all the gratitude I could through the embrace. I was about to pull away when suddenly I felt the ice thaw, and Trinia's arm wrapped around my shoulders. She gave me a strong squeeze and said, So am I. Thanks for listening to Alley Odds and the Alley Odds Squad. I'm Leona Cara, and I am so excited to be sharing this story with you again. For those of you who have been listening since the first episodes came out in the winter, thank you for your patience. Life sure threw some curveballs at me since the last episodes aired, but the love and support I've received from so many of you has added even more fuel to this wondrous tale of ours. For those of you who are just now walking into this magical world, welcome! It's great to have you. This story means so very much to me, and I hope, as it continues, it means so very much to you too. 
For those of you who are interested in Able, I have a Patreon page to support the creation of more Alley Odds. You can find me at patreon.com forward slash Alley Odds, where you can donate any amount you wish to support more Alley Odds coming into the world. I hope you have a magical day, wherever you are, whoever you are. And I'll hope to see you around the fire for the next episode, Chapter 6, The Permutations of Possibility. Thank you.